Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Chad Franzen here, co-host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Past guests include David Allen of Getting Things Done, Michael Gerber of The E-Myth, and many more. This episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. Have you had team members ask you the same questions over and over again, and this is the 10th time you spent explaining it? There's a better way and a solution. Sweet Process is a software that makes it drop-dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with existing staff. Not only do universities, banks, hospitals, and software companies use them, but first responder government agencies use them in life-or-death situations to run their operations. Use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time so you can focus on growing your team and empowering them to do their best work. Sign up for a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process.com. Don Wetro is Chief Operating Officer at AR Franchising and AR Homes. He is a 25-year veteran of home building who is passionate about people and culture. He is driven to build high-performing teams that deliver results. Don, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hey, I'm well. My pleasure, Chad. Thanks for having me on. So tell me a little bit more about AR Homes. Sure. Uh, originally uh, founded in 1953 by Art Ruttenberg, uh, the company uh, not long after merged with a couple other companies to become U.S. Home, which in its day was the largest publicly traded home builder, and I think retained that spot well into the 1980s. Uh, Art left uh, U.S. Home after a brief stint as president, about 18 months, and uh, went off to do a number of joint partnerships. He uh, was consulting uh, with a number of builders and thought, you know, what might be interesting is, uh, is, is maybe to, instead of investing in joint partnerships, is to uh, provide them the same level of service and uh, input and coaching, but do it under a franchise model, which ultimately he launched in 1978. That's the business model that we operate under today. And uh, as I had mentioned to you previously, uh, Art passed just over four years ago. So we've been in an interesting transition, which was we had an iconic leader. Uh, when you look at the pantheon of great home builders, Art Ruttenberg is certainly in uh, that, that group of names. Uh, but when someone like that leaves your organization, there's obviously a power vacuum. And so the question that we've been confronted with about three years ago is how do we pivot away from iconic leadership to mission and vision-led organization? And uh, that's the journey that we've been on for the last three years. Currently operating in 10 states, about 45 markets. Uh, and uh, the luxury home building segment has been booming, which poses its own set of challenges for any operator. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that as we go through. The- sure. How many, empl- how many employees are working at AR Homes right now? Yeah, currently in the franchise orb, 125. Uh, last I looked, about 750 teammates that would exist out in the franchise world who are uh, obviously independently owned and operated businesses. So uh, they don't work directly for us. But our job is to provide them with tools and services and influence them to the best of our ability to uh, to match this legendary brand that we operate. How would you kind of define your in a role as COO? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, on most days, uh, I'm trying to provide the team 
the guidance to operate, we really want an empowered team. And so I, I think you know, one of the things that we try to look at as an organization, I think the saying is the good COO looks down and into the organization about 80% of the time, out and up about 20. The CEO is the opposite in our world. Uh, he looks out and up 80% down and in 20. And so I spend a lot of my time just looking down and into the organization, ensuring that the team understands what are the critical things that we do as a company, uh, what are the things that move us towards our annual operating plan, our goals. Um, it's interesting that uh, how easy uh, people can go off track, right, without guidance, without sticking to, here's, here's really, I like to call them the brass rings. We have two brass rings this year that we're trying to reach out for, and there are a lot of shiny objects that come along in the daily business and it's very easy without keeping an eye on that to see them track off uh, for not a brass ring. And so most of it's spent around, around that. And I am fortunate, uh, as I like to say, I'm not really interested in the past. I'm not all that interested in today. I'm super interested in the future. And, and I'm fortunate because in this role, I'm not, I'm not really pigeonholed into that 80% down and in. Uh, a lot of opportunity to think about and dream about what if, what could be. Uh, so much more than the 20% is spent uh, in my day looking out and up. You kind of talked uh, already about how you are in the midst of piv pivoting operations from a founder-led organization to a mission and vision-led organization. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe talk about where you started uh, um, and then how you got to where you are now in terms of um, you know this transition? Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, great question. I, I jokingly say our business model in the past was art in a corner office with a checkbook. And that was, uh, now that's not, dis, that's not to disparage or diminish the folks who were in leadership roles with our company in the past in no way is that intended. But I, I like to say it was really arts company and art led it that way. And so with arts passing, uh, the company transitioned to second generation ownership. And uh, that leaves, it leaves a power vacuum. There's no question. And so we really had to go through a very um, introspective time, I think, as a company about what do we want to be when we grow up. And, and we, want, we kept saying we want to be world class. It's one thing to say you want to be a world class organization. It's a very different thing to achieve um, being a world class organization. So one of, the, one of the major things that we undertook was getting the, you know, to borrow from Jim Collins, get the right people on the bus, get them in the right seat. We took, it, it was a painstaking process to get the right staff, the right teammates on board with us. We think it started with that. We thought we had to get the right folks uh, in the company. And once we did, then we had to establish what are the most important things for us to find those set up. We like to use OKRs. You can use KPIs. You can use smart goals. We operate under an OKR system, objective and key result, providing a lot of clarity for the team around what are the objectives. What are the key results that if we achieve these, we think we achieved the objectives that we've set out? And, and we really began once we understood kind of where we wanted to go as a company, we put a three-year roadmap in front of us. We just completed the first um, three years of those strategic thrusts, if you will, and, uh, and, and really, I think, accomplished most uh, of what we set out to accomplish. And then it gave us a real clear roadmap over for the things that we need to do um, in the coming year. So at a high level, that's, that's kind of how we approached it. What would you, how do you kind of define world-class? Yeah, that's a great, so again, all great questions. Um, so employer of choice, we'll just start with one, I would say an easy one. It's easy to say, we want to be an employer of choice, not just in the construction industry, but we think about professionals, whether they're in finance or training or HR, you don't necessarily need to know everything there is to know about home building in order to work in an organization 
and have that as your your functional specialty. And so we wanted to, we wanted to become a place where people who are experts and and top of their field view us as a viable opportunity for them to continue their employment. And so we began engagement surveys. We had not done engagement surveys as a company. Uh, we wanted to understand what was our level of engagement. We um, and and as part of that, what we learned was we weren't necessarily all that well connected with our workforce. And so we went through an exercise and a strategic offsite meeting of identifying companies that we think are world class, your Googles, your um, maybe your Walmarts, your Chick-fil-A's. And, and what did we know about them from our research or what did we believe to be true about them as organizations? And we listed those organizations and we said, this is what world-class, best-in-class companies do. And, and this is where we think we are today. And then go back to our team and say, here's where we think we are. What do you all think about that? So you have that piece, which then is measured by engagement. And, uh, and, and the numbers have been, have been good to improving, which is always, always um, good to know. And then the other part is how, I think this is important, how are we viewed as our peers? And so just recently, at the International Builder Show National Awards, we won the webs the award for best website for a builder. So uh, when you're a builder of our size competing against multi-billion-dollar companies, there's the our employees happy, um, our customers happy based on survey data. That's important to us. And then how do our peers view us? Um, are we at the table for the conversation about the best in our industry? And and I would say. Uh, yes, in some cases, improving in others and in some, like all organizations, not even close. And we need to pick up our game to get there. You said it was kind of a painstaking process to get the right people in the right place. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. We, we operate, we're a franchisor of custom home builders. So it's a unique model. There are not many franchisors in the world of home building or home. There are a lot of home services, you know, your plumbing and um, electrical contractors, all those exist, but home building per se, it's a very small market. And so in order to service both the needs of a franchisor and to provide the right services to the franchise builder, and then ultimately make sure the services translate to an end consumer, uh, it's, it's challenging. And so we've created a business model that uh, I like to say requires a few unicorns to run. And so we're looking for people who are very successful in their craft, but also at a place oftentimes in their career where they're ready to give back to the industry. Home building is a great industry because if you if you can stick it out, if you have the stomach for it long term, it's very rewarding, almost like any industry, I suppose. And I think home building is a very rewarding industry and uh, it cycles like many businesses. And you go through really tough times, you go through really great times. And certainly you can get up to a point in your career when we find the right person who says, wow, I've done it. I've been successful. I've made adequate money. Uh, I would like to give back. And when we find those people, those are great people to plug into our organization because it certainly does take, you know, give her the term I like servant's heart, servant leader to really excel in the franchise side of the business. What would you say are some lessons you learned about deciding what's important when you're in the transition of going from a founder-led organization to a mission and vision-led organization? Yeah, so first off, what, what we learned was communication. I think that was the biggest piece. Communication uh, for us was a key internally to our team about what was going on, why we were changing, what we were changing, and then more so communicating that out to our, our builder customer and hopefully helping drive that down below 
below the franchisee or building company president who actually runs the daily operations to their team. So lots of changing. We offer a very robust uh, franchise offering. Um, it's a very complex business that we operate in. So it's not always easy to understand. I think human nature, Chad, is people will fill in the gaps in the story if you don't fill it in for them. And I think the unfortunate part about human nature is they almost always fill it in with the worst possible thing that could happen. And so we, we thought we were brilliant. We were really on this right track for where the future was. And, uh, and without communication in the early days, we found that it, it got real clunky. So one of the sayings, I've probably heard it somewhere, I, I can't tell you where, but one of the things that I'm, I like to say is the vision bucket is leaky. And so just when you think you've filled that bucket up enough for your team to understand it, you're not even close. It, it just runs out the bottom as fast as you pour it in. And so, you know, the old trainer's mantra, tell them, tell them again, tell them what you told them is absolutely true when it comes to casting vision for your team and the people outside of the organization proper that you um, affect or impact. You can never cast vision enough uh, for where you're going. I think the second part that goes with that with the team is uh, good leaders provide clarity, not certainty. Okay, so we have a pretty clear picture of where we want to go as an organization, but I don't have any promises about the future. As they say, my crystal ball clouded a long time ago. I don't, I can't promise you that it works out. Um, I think we have a really great senior management team. I think we have the ability to read the market pretty well, pivot when we have to, um, try to be agile uh, when we can be. Uh, but at the end of the day, clarity around the vision, continue to cast vision, help the team understand where we're going, why we're going. And ultimately, when we arrive there, as all people want to know, what's in it for me? <laughs> so uh, I think those are key ingredients to helping people buy into vision and then ultimately get you to where you have to go. So you have uh, about 125 employees and also yeah. franchisees across, I believe you said, 10 states. Yeah. Uh, how do you maintain kind of this communication and uh, the ability to kind of share this vision, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, great, great question. So one of the things, so take this the right way, there, there are actually some silver linings to the pandemic. Uh, it forced us to really reevaluate how we, how we operated the business. People would, if you'd asked me uh, two years ago, could you sell custom homes virtually? Uh, I would have said, no way, not a chance, can't happen, Chad. It wasn't long after the pandemic, we learned that there, we had to get creative about how we just delivered services and how we communicated. So one of the things that we did immediately, which I think really paid off, was we instituted a town hall. And so every Friday, three o'clock, town hall for everybody in our organization. And, and we have really high attendance on Friday afternoons. And we communicate what's the status of the market, what are big movers in our world, that people would probably want to know about, not necessarily need to know about, but would like to know about. We recognize our heroes. Um, we also recognize our villains on a regular basis. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. And, uh, and then I, I try to take a little bit of that time and talk about something that happened in our business uh, and how we tie that back to our guiding principles. So we, we do that on a weekly basis. Uh, the first um, the first uh, town hall of every quarter, we try to invite all of our franchisees on there so we can talk to them about big movers that really impact how they do business and what might be on the horizon for them. Uh, we start, I start every week with a manager's meeting. I take the first 15 minutes for what I call communication cascade. These are the things that came out of the senior leader call on Monday mornings. Me and my peers 
what what does my next layer of management need to know? What do those teammates need to know to be effective? We communicate that directly the same day. Expectation is they're meeting with their teams in the next one to two days. They drive that same communication down through the organization. So those are some ways. When you look outside the organization, we went to a lot of video messages. Funny story, I met with one of our builders. Uh, we had a vice president of sales. He retired. I met with our builder. And for the first 10 minutes, he just went on and on about this person not returning phone calls. And I've tried to schedule sales training to have him come up and he won't return my calls. I've just given up. And I said, well, you know, Dan, he retired five months ago. He said, I had no idea. <laughs> so it was in my emails and all that. He said, oh, I don't read your emails. Said, well, that, that's become clear, right? So we went to video messaging and we found out that, that our, our click rate and our watch rate of that, was, it was much more effective than it was for an email, they're bombarded. So we went to a different communication platform and it became asynchronous, not to use a buzzword of the day. It was an asynchronous communication that they could watch and, um, and allow them to hear directly from me sort of and talk about the major things that they needed to know to run their business and to provide them a roll up of what happened in the previous week that they probably didn't read, but I wish they had. And so those are, that's, those are some approaches we took in mm -hmm. order to communicate that. Tell me a little bit more about this hero villain concept. All right. So we, we knew we wanted to recognize people who were heroes. And we think our team's just chock full of people who go above and beyond every day. And so I think a lot of organizations do that. But what, 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 where it really, uh, we were joking about this idea that uh, an organization we work with, they had a Barbie doll. And it was kind of this Toy Story kind of piece together Barbie. But when they have kind of a goof up in their organization, that person got to carry this Barbie around for the week. And it was all in fun. And we heard that and we thought, what a, what a great idea. And so we, we recognize heroes and we have this bobblehead of our CEO in sort of a hero, you know, Superman type outfit. And, and I like to call him approving Jim. And then there's the, the villain. And this is when we have a, this is when we, when we miss. And, and I like to call that one in the dark outfit, disapproving Jim. But it was the idea that it's okay to fail. That was the that was the key message that we wanted to drive home. We have to fail. We want to fail fast, to use that that term. We want to try a lot of things. Uh, we 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 don't want to be stuck in our deep river of thinking. We want to go out there and try to do some different things. And sometimes they're not going to work. And it's okay to openly admit, boy, we tried this and that did not go the way we wanted it to go. Um, but let's celebrate the fact that you tried. And that's where the villain came from. And so on a monthly basis, peers get to nominate uh, people in the organization for both heroes and villains. And so we want to we want to have a laugh about it, but we want to encourage people to try things that, especially in the world today, Chad, as you know, the world is it's rapidly evolving. How we deliver services have to change. Uh, we have to be willing to take some chances. Um, we have to be willing to try things that are new. And, um, and we want to talk about those because it's a safe place, we think, in our organization to try. And, and not succeed. It's totally okay. It's as my team hears me say often, we succeed or we learn, uh, but we don't we don't fail. So we take all that information and we reswizzle it and we go at it another time. What are some challenges uh, that come with trying to instill kind of the culture that you're looking for when you have a company that depends both on employees and franchisees, you know, rather than just employees? Yeah, some of the challenges that we face, we're we're fortunate 
so blessing and curse. We have a lot of tenure. We have people who've been with us for decades, some, some employees three decades. Our first franchisee, Chad, is still in our network. He's been with us for more than 40 years. That's great. However, that leads to some of the dreaded things such as that's not how we do it or that's not our process or we've always done it this way, which are the, you know, those are the kiss of death in building new culture. And so I, I think it's, I think it, that is really the challenge. Home building is home building. It's a, I've heard the term, it's a frozen industry. It doesn't change very much. Builders don't necessarily want to change very much, um, but, but we have to, to move forward. And so, you know, getting buy-in, I think the hardest part of what we do is the change management piece. And, and when you look at it, we're trying to make decisions that affect more than 40 building companies who are independently owned and operated. And so trying to find those right things that we can offer them that are meaningful to them, um, that help them run their business better. Ultimately, they get more sales starts and closings. Those, that's the home building business. I just gave you all the secrets you need to know. It's home, home building is sales starts and closings. And as I like to say, ideally do that profitably. Um, how do we how do we convince somebody with 40 years of experience that there's a better, maybe smarter, faster way to do your business? Uh, so those are the things that that work. I think all businesses are challenged with, and and in our world, how do you do that for 40 plus and ideally 50 and 60 plus at some point, maybe 100 someday down the line, um, and still let them be independent entrepreneurs and express themselves in the way they want to express themselves. I have one more question for you, but first, just let me know how people can find out more about AR Homes and AR Franchising. Yeah, absolutely. ARHomes.com is our website. So that would be the best place to check us out. Uh, and then uh, through there, they could, they could acquire information. Um, if you were to Google AR Franchising, you would, you, you would, it would lead you to some additional resources. Uh, final question. Do you have any favorite kind of books that you have found valuable or that you have enjoyed um, as you kind of... Uh, continue to venture your way down changing processes? Uh, absolutely. I wrote down a few because I thought you might ask me this. It's one of my, <laughs> Good. you must be reading my mail. It's one of my favorite questions. Um, anything by Andy Stanley. I'll read anything Andy Stanley writes. I think he's just a great, I love his take on leadership. Mark Miller from Chick-fil-A. Anything Mark writes um, with Ken Blanchard or on his own, I think is always really good. I love Lencioni. Um, a book that's an older one that I read recently that I really enjoyed was um, The Fifth Discipline by Sangi, which talks about learning organizations. And I think that's a, it, that's a, it's a fascinating view on the world when um, you know, everybody talks about breaking down silos. As we continue to work remote and people can be somewhat distant, um, to be able to step back and connect all the dots in the organization and see things not as a national purchasing issue, but as a more global corporate issue, um, how it impacts us and how it impacts our franchise customers. Uh, really, really uh, been a really valuable book to me. Last one I'll share with you um, is a book called The Goal. I'd like to tell you the author, but it's, uh, he escapes my mind. And it's one of the early books about lean manufacturing. Uh, and um, I read that I read that book not long ago. And it was just fascinating because as we look at supply chain challenges that we're confronted with today, uh, how do you, how to take sort of a manufacturing view and overlay it on home building, and and how do you take a backlog of sales which were off the charts great last year and get them through throughput and ultimately monetize them? And so instead of looking at it purely in a home building lens, um, to take that and kind of apply constraint theory uh, to home building actually was a really helpful read. 
Hey, uh, Don, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate all your thoughts and your insights. Thank you so sure. much. My pleasure. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. That's my